If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, good evening, good evening to Aurora and Kane County. We are live on Facebook and we are here with our partners of law enforcement for a very important discussion tonight. Once again, another community discussion with the Kane County State's Attorney's Office. Our topic of discussion this evening is our, excuse me, juvenile justice courts. So we uh, look forward to this. We're very excited to learn. And uh, for any questions that anyone has, this video will stay up on our Facebook page, YouTube, and Spotify as well. So um, we're here with Kane County State's Attorney, Jamie Monster, but what we'll do is we will start for um, introductions. So, please. Jamie Monster, your Kane County State's Attorney. Good evening. Good evening, my name is Sandra Parga. I am the juvenile justice judge here in Kane County. Hi, my name is Mary Lisa Jackson. I represent parents and I am also a guardian ad litem in juvenile justice court and a Nights Life Court. My name is Jessica Michaels. I'm an assistant state's attorney assigned to the abuse and neglect division. All right, thank you ladies very much for your time and uh, talking to the people for this important discussion this evening. So. What we'll do in a conversational fashion is we will start off uh, with the very simple and plain question, what is Juvenile Justice Court? And Kane County State's Attorney Monster, how does this fit into the overall goal of the uh, Kane County State's Attorney's Office? Great. I'm going to let one of the experts define Juvenile Justice Court because that's why we have them here. The reason why I wanted this discussion is because it's important for the community to understand what we do when we have juveniles who are involved with criminal behavior, along with kids who are brought into the system because they're either abused or neglected. For those who are uh, avid watchers of our Facebook show, you've heard me often talk about the ACEs trauma, which is adverse childhood experiences. And those ACEs, those traumas could be a parent who is involved with the criminal justice system parents who go through a divorce, um, kids witnessing someone who has an addiction, a substance use issue, or someone with a mental health issue, witnessing abuse like domestic violence, or even being abused themselves. Oftentimes what we see is when you have families that have many, some, all, all of them, these issues within, you see them in our criminal system, in our juvenile justice system, I apologize. I was just taught that term a moment ago. Um, but you see that within our system itself where kids are coming in and when you find out what's going on in their home life, it's chaotic. There's something that's going on that is causing the behavior that's ki bringing kids into our juvenile justice system. And it's also important to know that the first thing that happens is kids aren't automatically thrown into our court system. That's not what we're designed to do. And so the great panel that we have here are people who are involved, they understand, they know these cases inside and out. And for Kane County, we have one of the only duly involved, which means one judge will deal with a child who is juvenile justice involved, so charged with some sort of offense, but may also be in our system because they're abused or neglected. And I think that's important to know because that judge has the best understanding of the kids. And so to that, I will turn it over to whomever would like to define juvenile justice court. 
So I think our juvenile justice court is where we hear cases where our kids are charged with crimes. But I think to Jamie's point, it's important to know that our county does such an amazing job of diverting kids away from the system because we know that bringing kids into court is a traumatic experience itself. It produces a lot of stress for kids, a lot of anxiety for them. So whenever possible, through our court services department, through our police department, kids are diverted based on the type of offense and how many points they've scored. There's a system that's used when their background is looked at. So the kids that we're seeing in our juvenile justice system are really our highest risk, highest need kids. And oftentimes those are the kids who have experienced different traumas in their life. Um, so as to the de definition of our juvenile justice system, to me, it is where we, where we see those kids, where we work to figure out what services they need, where we um, look at the offenses and try to determine what the appropriate punishment or sentences, while also balancing those needs that they have for services to keep them away from entering our adult court system and reoffending as juveniles. I see. Now, uh, real quick, I uh, did want to plant a flag. Uh, Mary Lisa, you are guardian at Lytham. Um, would you concur with everything that's been said from that perspective? Absolutely. Um, from the child's perspective, juvenile justice court also is a problem solving court and it's an assistance, um, almost like crisis intervention court at some, uh, sometimes in terms of sometimes that child that is in trouble is also, uh, with the law, is also in trouble because of his home environment. And sometimes something negative that could be negative happening opens the eyes of the system to something that's happening at home. So it is, I would see it more not as a punishing court, but um, like Judge Pargas said, is all about trying to prevent this in the future and it, it kind of like wrapping that child um, around with services and, and assistance. Okay, I see. Uh, the time is 6.12 p.m. Thank you guys for watching uh, this important discussion on juvenile justice court. Uh, Jessica? So I deal mostly with abuse and neglect cases. So what that is is when a child is either abused or neglected at home and is removed from their home by DCFS. Um, what we do uniquely here is if we learn that a child is going to become court involved with um, abuse and neglect court and is already or is likely to be involved in juvenile justice court, we bring those two courtrooms together and bring all of those people into one place every single time that child needs to be in court. So it's when the systems collide that bring us, I think, together. together. Um, how, how often does that happen? How often do, you know, do, do the needs overlap in that fashion? Is that, is that something that is uh, typical? So I wouldn't necessarily say it's typical. We have a lot of cases in each courtroom that don't collide or overlap. Um, but I think it happens more than people think it happens. Um, and that's, you know, the, the purpose of both of the courtrooms is the same. The overarching theme is to figure out what brought this individual or the family in front of us and what we can all do together to make sure we don't see them again. 
um, in the same problem. Right? Let's get the families back together. I just um, dropped my phones. Everybody should know that. <laughs> and on the way to reunification. Okay. Okay. And um, what is the? How long has juvenile justice court um, been such a, a strong factor in, in the focus of you know really the preventative measures associated with it? Um, you know, what's the uh, inception of that? Because we've seen laws change and uh, law enforcement's done a lot to, um, uh, you know, remove barriers and stop entry into the system. So I guess my question is, when did this become such a driving factor um, in Kane County? I mean, I would say in terms of the law, it's always been directed that way, right? In my experience here in King County, I would say I started back in 2010. And I would have to say that probably a couple years before that um, is when I think we started working more towards noticing that we have these cases in common, um, not wanting to double up resources and also wanting to be together and and discussing this child all together so i think it's been i would say about 15 years or so i would put in at least from in my experience okay. it's followed the shift of what we've had with law enforcement because remember the thought process especially throughout the 90s and even the early 2000s was when you commit a crime you get punished don't we all think about that as parents? Like when our kid does something at home, we punish the child. That mentality was in the criminal court system and has shifted along with the dynamics of where we've shifted law enforcement that we can do so much more to help people get out of the system. And the way juvenile justice is set up is it's not the people of the state of Illinois versus the juvenile. Now there are some kids who commit very heinous crimes and they're treated a lot differently than that but the majority of the cases that they see are ones in which we're trying to get kids out of our system by making sure that they have the tools to be able to do so. Okay. And I think I would just add that the Juvenile Court Act itself mandates that we balance rehabilitation with responsibility for the kids through some sort of sentence for the offense. But I think what's changed is the science and us now understanding that kids, one, aren't little adults, that their brain isn't fully developed at 14, 15, 16 years old, and it's going to take well into their 20s before their brains are fully developed and they aren't acting impulsively. And so I think also the science that we've all learned about has helped us understand that kids are different than adults and they have to be treated differently than adults. I think that shift also occurred along with this notion that if we don't help people, and in our case kids, try to deal with the root of the problem or the issue that brought them into court, we're not really helping them move past it. Right. And so I love what Mary Lisa said, we are a problem solving court more than anything. We look at the child as a whole, you know, who are the parents, what's going on at home and try to look at everything when we think about what, when we think about that balance of responsibility with rehabilitation. I, I wanna add in terms of, um, <clears throat> I do practice in a lot of other counties and something that um, is really unique to King County is continuity. Um, 
research also tells us that if we keep the same team of people working with that child through the years, they have much better outcomes and they get out of the system uh, much quicker. And King County um, is really good at doing that, both with judges and attorneys. When you are a certain amount of years dealing with these cases, you realize that you're dealing with the same families. And so that also makes you see that this, you cannot uh, separate one thing from the other. The, the outcomes that, that kids in juvenile justice court have will then have, maybe they have children that then end up in DCFS system and vice versa. That, um, and actually there is an organization that is very true. There is a great man by the name of Jim DeChaula. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a great organization called Casa Kane County. And uh, uh, so Guardian Ad Litem is part of their uh, yes. system. But what you talked about is so true. The young kids that get that structure, that continuity, they, they are able to uh, get really positive outcomes. Yes. That's what it's about. It's about that familiarity and everything, which is part of the family structure that when that is gone, that is kind of the first First thing that starts to fray, and then that goes to commitment and a whole lot of other other issues. So um, that is very important. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, the time is 6.19. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Hello, Cynthia. Good to see you. And uh, Judge Kim DiGiovanni, good to see you as well. Uh, okay, our, our discussion this evening, once again, is about juvenile justice court. So now let's go into abuse and neglect court uh, with a little bit more alacrity. Um, so, when Curtis, a child... Is that the word that we have to use? That's today? the word of the day. Okay. That's the word of the day. The word of the day is alacrity. Alacrity. Um, so now, this is... We talked about ACEs as well. Mm -hmm. Now, what what does it take for a child to be removed from the home? Because that would, that's, that's obviously the, um, you know, the, the most severe outcome. Um, so, what does that require and... You know, what are the uh, alternatives that are happening before things get to that point? So for us to bring a case in and actually have a child be removed, we have to show probable cause that a child is either abused, neglected, or dependent on the state for one reason or another. Um, even if we show probable cause, we also have to show that DCFS has done um, everything they can to prevent that removal. So we call that reasonable efforts that they had to have kept made reasonable efforts to keep the child in the home. So that can be something called intact family services, where they keep the family intact and offer them services, keep an eye on them, give them a caseworker, um, provide them services without removing the child, um, implementing a safety plan that could have um, a family member stay with them as a supervisor, or have the parents engage in services while somebody else keeps the child for a while um, to try and divert them from court. If all of that fails, then we would bring it to the judge and say that there's an urgent immediate necessity to remove the child. Um, and with that, we would ask that the judge order that. Okay, so that, and that's good to know too, for those who may have, who, because um, sometimes unfortunately DCFS gets a, a default bad rap, but that is good to know because a, a judge's discretion is still required. And that's, that's good to know. I think people should know that. that the uh, judge still ultimately, has to make findings. A yes. judge has to make those findings. Okay. Um, so, in in your work, when uh, in abuse and neglect court, when you are um, dealing with the cases, um, and 
can are there any success stories that you could tell us about uh, obviously without giving away any um personal information sure um but what is a what is a success story from the abuse and neglect court so i think the ultimate success in abuse and neglect court would be reunification of the child back with their their parents um which doesn't always happen overnight i've never seen it happen overnight um <laughs> it is usually a process because we don't generally remove children from homes until we have to and at that point there's probably a lot of services that need to be put in place so that this child can safely return home um so that's it's a hard answer because there's not a one-size-fits-all for these families um, we see everything from physical child abuse to substance abuse issues to domestic violence um, and we truly take the time to look at each of those families to figure out what services they need um, have they been implemented? Have the parents made progress in them enough that we feel confident we can put a child back in that home with them? Actually. And a lot of times those services were offered before the state was even contacted to yeah. file a petition. And so I think that's important to know too that the filing of a petition in court asking to remove a child from their home is never the first step. It's the last step after an agency has offered a family services to try to keep them together to remedy the issues that are causing the kids to be unsafe in the home. And it's when those services haven't succeeded or haven't been taken advantage of or just can't address the needs sufficiently that the state then files the petition. So I think the petition is the last resort and is how it's treated in Kane County. I think that um, in terms of perspective, if we want to look at it that way, just imagine how many children live in King County, right? right? And from those, we have about 150 cases in the last few years per year of, of, of new cases in court. We hit 200 last year. Yes. Um, and and the pandemic, yes, and the pandemic affected that a lot, a it lot doubled more. It, it yes. doubled the amount of abuse and neglect cases that we had. Right. And so even then, it's a very low number if we think about all the children in the county and then in the state it's the same. If we think about, we probably deal with about 1% of the population in general. Um, so the rest of the families never have to see us. Um, and so I think that's important with perspective because of what Jesse said, it's not overnight. Um, and that's mainly because we're dealing with problems that are that are not easy to solve. Otherwise, we wouldn't be involved at all. So. Right, right. Oh, well said, well said. And uh, the other thing, I'm sorry, no in terms sorry. of success, <laughs> return home is, is, is I, I agree, the most successful outcome, uh, but there are all kinds of other uh, types of outcomes, and, and I think we do see kids that achieve their independence, yes. um, that um, are able to, uh, be adopted, you know, by other families, um, live with their relatives until, you know, they're adults, and there's plenty of other successes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most of, I think we mostly see success in that sense. Well, we don't want to see these kids continue to live in chaotic environments, and so as Judge Parga was saying, when the kids' brains are growing, they obviously have impulse control issues during certain things, but if they're living in a chaotic environment, it's worse because they're always always foc focusing on like an emotional portion. Mm -hmm. So they continue to make bad decisions because they continue to never be able to heal and let their brain grow and not suffer trauma every single day. 
So when they come home, if there's a parent that's abusing another and they just continue to live in that, even when they go to school and it should be calm, they may be going to the school fearful of what's going to happen to a parent at the home. Right. Mm -hmm. Imagine if they don't have money and they don't have food and a kid goes to school without food and then they're acting up or they're doing something. I mean, we this is part of the brilliance of working together and trying the best we can to not have kids go into the system. We try to get them those resources. And when we are involved, it means it's gotten to the point where we have to be involved. And if that ends up in an adoption of a child who is living in a traumatic environment to people who are gonna love and care for them, to me, that's also a success story. I do love the idea of reunifying because isn't that the dream that we all want? But when a parent is unable or unwilling to participate in that, then we need to protect that child. Right, there have also been you know, those success stories in a way from adoption and things like that and kids getting that that new start um wherever may wherever it may take them so that's always uh, something positive too um okay now in regards to our juvenile justice court why is kane county different than other counties I know we can expect good answers out of this one, y'all. <laughs> that was a softball. <laughs> so Kane County is really unique because we are the only county in the state where we have one judge handle our duly involved kids. So those kids who have been part of the system through an abuse and neglect case, and then they're charged with a crime. There are places throughout the state where the county is so small that there's one judge who by default hears all of the cases under the Juvenile Justice Act, the abuse and neglect and the juvenile justice cases. But what makes us different is that we do it intentionally at the same time as opposed to having separate calls for those separate cases. We call those cases together with the one judge and all of the parties who are involved on both sides. So the state's attorney who's handling the juvenile justice case and the public defender, the lawyers for the abuse and neglect who are um, who have brought those petitions, CASA, attorneys for parents, parents, caseworkers, um, everyone who is involved on both sides come in together so that the family can see the team that's working for their success. And so we are looking at the child and the family in a very holistic way, right? right. What, what's the whole story here? And I think it's, it's really a unique way that we handle it here in Kane County. I know that there are a couple of other counties that have started pilot programs to try to do it in the way that we do it, but we've been doing it this way for the past three years, at least since I've been there and probably before, oh, yes, 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 um, yes. because we really do see the benefit to the children and the families of doing it that way. Mary Lisa? <clears throat> no, we've, um, I would say at least about 10 years we've been doing that. and um, the. Um, what I would say is if you go out into other counties and do have to do have cases with the same child, one in juvenile justice, one in abuse and neglect courtroom, you will see the dysfunction. There is dysfunction. 
Uh, people, we would, I think that people like to think that we can communicate like that and agencies communicate and things work together. They typically don't. Um, and so one system is not necessarily talking to the other, um, which might render decisions by both judges that might not be consistent, but also duplicating resources um, or lack of information. Um, I, I think uh, nobody knows this, but in most of our cases, they're about, um, they're confidential, so nobody, uh, else is, is allowed. Everybody that's in, in there is there for that case. And we can have 10 to 12 people, 15 mm -hmm. people, sometime for one family. And so when we, you divide that, you don't have that. You have two people in one case, you have maybe three people in another case. Uh, this brings together everybody. And not only there's flow of information, but you have one judge deciding what is best for this family as a whole with all of their issues, which is very unique and according to everything that we know is the best practice, is gold standard. Okay, so wait, so you're saying that there's different judges adjudicating different aspects of the same case? Yeah, so for the same child. For the so, same child. Correct. So a judge might be, a judge that is not like Judge Parga, might right. be seeing the juvenile justice case in a very narrow, um, and I want, I, you you can probably talk, you sure. talk more about this. So Sorry I to take us down this road, <laughs> but I want, you know, I know that for the for the listeners well, too, I yes. Mean, that's, that's important. Yeah. So I think what happens if you don't have one judge listening to it, to both of those cases, is that you have one judge who is hearing about services that the family needs, right? Services that are being provided to the parents, maybe to the child as well. Right. Um, and they may know that the child has been charged with a criminal offense, but they don't, they don't know a lot of the details. They aren't really involved directly, right? right. On conditions that a judge might have imposed or services that the judge has ordered in the juvenile justice case because I have great discretion and latitude to order a lot of different things for kids to try and help them. On the other side, if you're the juvenile justice judge and you are just looking at the offense and you don't, I may, might not even know that there's an abuse and neglect case, that this child is part of another case where services have been offered. And so it might cause me to order services that are already in place Redoubling efforts. Redoubling right. efforts. It might cause me to. Um, it might cause me to put in place conditions that are contrary to what's happening in the abuse and neglect case. Maybe I order a parent to drive a child to school. Maybe they've been ordered to not drive the children anywhere um, for specific reasons. I just wouldn't know that. Right. And I think for me, most importantly, is that if you don't have one judge aware that two different things are happening in that child's life and in that family's life, you don't have the context of the why. And that for me, I think is the biggest key in the cases that we hear on the juvenile justice side, why? Because I don't think that we inherently just have kids who are bad. Mm -hmm. There's a lot usually happening that it's important for the judge to know. Aha, uh -huh. I see. So there, that so consolidating the cases in front of a single judge is paramount. Very unique. That's what makes King County 
unique because we did talk about reasonable efforts and intact family services and other things that could potentially be being done. And if one judge is ordering that, and then you got, you know, Judge Smiley over here trying to send the kid up the river, <laughs> that's not in the best interest of anybody, let alone the family. Not only that, but a judge like Judge Parga knows of the existence of all of the services because she deals with both cases. Mm -hmm. So, for example, she might have a lot more curiosity when she sees a family that's experienced in certain things, it will prompt her to ask certain questions that another judge maybe is oblivious to. So right. if she hears something like, you know, an agency name that she's familiar with, she will say, oh wait, right. are, do you, are you working with an agency? Or certain facts might prompt her to <laughs> ask questions, whether, you know, whereas other juvenile justice judges see themselves very you know as a They're criminal right. judge right. and so right. they are not going those things are going to go over their head so that's another aspect of of having a judge that's so familiar and it's that's powerful yeah a simplistic way of looking at this is let's say there's a kid who involved with dcfs because of some neglect from the parents they tried all the services it got so bad that finally a case was initiated as a result of it and so now DCFS is involved, the courts are involved, we're all looking into it, services are being provided. Everybody in abuse and neglect court thinks it's going well because parents are providing or doing the services, everything's great. Then this kid starts to pick up a bunch of theft cases. So you have two separate judges. Maybe the abuse and neglect judge sees theft and is not really curious about it. The criminal judge keeps seeing you know, theft, 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 which means why aren't we locking them up? Why aren't we putting them in jail? Well, then we know over here the theft is of food because the parents have stopped feeding the kid because the abuse is continuing. They're just hiding it or the neglect is still being hidden. You have one judge who understands why this family came in and then you see this kid stealing. She's going to ask why. What is this kid stealing? What is going on to see that maybe the pretend you know, compliance with counseling isn't really helping the kid. And again, that's very simple. I'm sure Jess and Mary Lisa have better examples of cases because they're the ones who deal with these all the time along with Judge Parga. But when you can't see it all together as one big picture, you're gonna lose the child in that case. And I just wanna to add to that, a lot of times parents don't really understand what services they're getting and they don't know the language of it, right? And so you might, they might say, well, I have, I do have a caseworker. Well, who is your caseworker? I don't really know his or her name. Well, what agency? I'm not really sure. Um, and so that makes it hard because you're trying to elicit information about a system that's complicated with terminology that's so unique to those systems and the parents can't relate it. And so then again, we're missing out on important information because it's hard for them, you know, to, to tell you what has been asked and to use the lingo of the court to express what we need to know. And I think when we have the caseworkers there or the attorneys for the state who can say, this is what's happening, these are their services, this is the caseworker, it's just so nice and so easy to be able to cooperate and work together that way and take that burden off the parents who are oftentimes already stressed, already struggling with many things and really just don't have that language. It's the legalese that we take for granted. Right, right. And we've used that 
we've used that term in some of the other discussions that we've had about a number of different topics in this office, like the different acronyms and all kinds of things. I mean, who would <laughs> know that? <laughs> who would you know? No, you know, no. Who would know that? It's 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 really. You know, but I think that that goes to the benefit of the state's attorney's office, but also what we were talking about when we started. It's it's like the if if people when when people are able to take part in the information and the knowledge and be adept of the legalese as well to see the benefit that it has on their lives, that goes a long way to making people like you know feel good about the um, about the system. Um, now, Jess, we did not hear from you about uh, what makes King County different than other counties. So your opinion, please. So I agree that is paramount of what we do that is different than other counties. Um, but there are some times when Judge Parker will be like, go get Jess Michaels. I need her to look into something. <laughs> and then I'm able to walk into the courtroom and be like, what do you need? <laughs> and she'll say, like, I think there's something going on with this family. I think that they're involved with DCFS. Can you look into it for me? And then I can look into whether or not it's appropriate um, to bring the case into court. It should be in front of Judge Parga. Is there something more we can be doing? Um, I think we collaborate really well. Um, there's a lot of communication, and that's one of the things that I think the biggest is when everybody's in the same place. Instead of getting you know another court date in a month to look into something, everybody's there. And the judge could be like, no, answer this question. What's going on? Oh, I don't know because so-and-so did this and then we'll be like, okay, so-and-so, what happened? And I think Jessie is just fantastic about doing that. Agreed. She, she, <laughs> there have been a lot of times where we have parents in court and they are struggling. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to ask her, and she's so great to say, yeah. I know exactly who to call about this. I, I'm going to get you the name of the caseworker so that he or she can join you on Zoom. We've had situations where there are families who are saying, well, I don't want to take my child home anymore. I'm, I'm done. I, you know, I'm, yeah. I will not participate anymore. I, I will not parent this child anymore. And even in those situations, being able to ask Jesse to come out and speak to the parents about what does that really mean right. if you do that? And what does that look like for you? is really helpful and important because then the parents have a perspective, a legal perspective about what they're saying and what the ramifications are for them and for their child. And so in so many ways that I can't even name, it's just so invaluable to have her and the office there to just help our families. And that's what she did. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna compliment the state attorney's office in King County because yes. And uh, you asked the question about alternatives and also what makes King County unique and in, in, in that it's a combination in, in that answer. There's alternatives in King County that I think don't exist in other places because of that relationship, um, that continuity. Um, you have the same people working as a team for a number of years. Uh, communication is very easy. Um, teamwork flows and I think uh, it's important for people to know that both courtrooms that we work in are not adversarial mm -hmm. because people are used to in the court system that me as an attorney for a parent or a child should not be necessarily working together with the prosecutor in the case to resolve something in our courtrooms the law demands that mm -hmm. that we work together for the child and so we have that continuity but um, something that's very special is the alternatives. Um, something that happens in King County is that, for example, 
the child that is in a lot of trouble um, in Judge Parga's room, not yet involved um, in the abuse and neglect courtroom, there will be conversations, which do, uh, doesn't happen in other places, to see, can we prevent that child entering DCFS care? It's looking like it will happen. Mm -hmm. um, what can we do to not have that happen? Is Are there relatives? Are there other resources, people that can help us with this child? Uh, we involve other agencies, uh, Regional Office of Education, uh, court services, um, other community agencies, uh, community crisis center, all kinds of uh, agencies. And the same the other way around. There's a DCFS, uh, a, a child in DCFS care that is looking like it's going to be getting criminal cases or might have already been arrested, but we can still uh, find solutions. And so those are conversations that are unique to that type of environment. When you have silos, those conversations are not happening. Right, right. Uh, now, uh, at the beginning, kind of towards the beginning of our conversation, Judge Parker, you mentioned a, uh, a point system. Can you tell us about the point system? So that may be a question that um, Jesse the might be able to answer better. <laughs> I know that um, when certain, when kids are arrested, there are offenses that are on a point system and you have to have a certain amount of points to detain to detain but i don't have all those specifics okay. so generally um if a child gets arrested they get referred to the state attorney's office we review the case we determine if we want to file charges against that child and bring them into court um, they're not necessarily arrested and brought to court right away like adults are um, but it works on a point system so let's say this child has been referred five times previously and their crimes are um, becoming more severe. Um, the points system works so that when we get to a certain point, that child will then be detained. Understood. Okay. So if, you know, probably if they're having retail thefts over and over and over, lesser points than if they're carjackings, right? Right. right. Okay. Understood. Understood. And, um, so the, the time is uh, 6.44, keeping an eye, keeping an eye on our time. Uh, so State's Attorney Monster, what does the uh, what does the future look like in Kane County with our Juvenile Justice Court going forward? So we're obviously gonna keep this model, but we're constantly looking for better ways to improve what it is that we do. So we go to a lot of trainings, we look at what other counties do, what other states do. Um, I worked in New Orleans as an assistant district attorney and they have a fantastic law out there which is called Family in Need of Services that I'd like to alter one of our laws to do that more because this Family in Need of Services really focuses on the totality because a kid coming into our juvenile justice system is coming in for a reason. Is it a one-off? Was it a dare? Was it a really dumb decision? Or is it chaotic life experiences? Kids coming in or abuse and neglect situation are obviously in some sort of trauma because they're being abused or neglected or they're dependent on the system, as Jess had said earlier. But sometimes that's not good enough and sometimes we don't have to wait necessarily for that. So what I'd really like to do is have an alternative route, which is you can bring the family in in this non-adversarial way where what you're doing is you see them getting to the point of either becoming juvenile justice involved or abuse and neglect and instead you bring them in with mandated services. Because as Marilisa was saying earlier, sometimes people have help from DCFS, but they're not taking it. 
there's a suspicion of DCFS from people like if I cooperate or if I do this, then I'm not going to. And then when they don't do anything, that could land them in the system anyway. And so I would like to bring in a <coughs> different remedy that doesn't escalate it to abuse and neglect where you're taking kids away. And we're not arresting kids because they're committing a crime, but we see that they need help. Then with the court system, we can mandate help. And if people don't choose to do that, then it could go to the other route of abuse and neglect. But to me, this keeps families together by providing resources, especially to people who may not know where the resources are or how to get the resources. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna be a big legislative push that I'm gonna try to do throughout this year, possibly into next year. Um, I'm also doing a big legislative push right now with uh, Representative Matt Hansen to try to eliminate mandated arrests of juveniles in domestic violence situations. Our 1986 domestic violence law says if you commit a domestic violence offense, you shall be arrested, absent small circumstances. But that includes kids. So a boy punches his brother in the face, that's a shall arrest type of a situation. And police officers arrest because there might be liability if they don't. And I think we need to take kids out of that domestic violence act and treat them as kids under the Juvenile Court Act. And so that's another big thing that I'm gonna to try to do this year. Right, yeah, because that is powerful because uh, the kid could potentially, I mean, if, you know, you know, mom and dad and, a, and an incident happening, now mm -hmm. the kid is being arrested or detained or whatever, you know, whatever oh, yes. stripe we're painting there, um, at least psychologically, that's recurring mm -hmm. or I'm part of it. And sometimes kids have the, have the thought that they they are potentially behind their parents not getting along or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that could definitely exacerbate, um, you know, a negative feeling in a young person. Or a kid protecting their mom from a dad. Right. And then escalates it to the point where they're hitting the dad. And then the dad calls. I mean, we've had those cases before where we see that happening. And juveniles just need to be treated differently than adults. There's also a lot of mental health with yes. our kids these days. And so those domestic battery cases oftentimes involve kids who have been undiagnosed um, with a mental health condition, um, parents aren't aware exactly of what's happening. And so again, you know, services to treat the mental health issue would be great as opposed to arresting them and bringing them into detention when they're suffering from a mental health issue. And I will give you one more example, Janie, that I think we, I saw, you know, throughout the years, is the child that has the mental health issues untreated mm -hmm. with an abusive or neglectful parent. You have that child now at 14, 15 years old that will hit their own parent yes. and end up in, in juvenile justice court. Mm -hmm. And you, it's very unfair. It is very unfair. <laughs> Um, well, the time is 6.48, just enough time to uh, start landing our airplane here. So uh, <laughs> uh, I just want to mention once again for the um, uh, listeners and viewers that this, in, this uh, interview will be in, uh, in full on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts and everywhere else if you want to replay it. And the links to the state's attorney's office uh, will be uh, in the description as well. So the last thing that we do this great evening is... We get, um, we, we, the show ends on a positive note. So we would like a, um, a message from each of yourselves to the wonderful listeners in Kane County. Um, and you know, you can also mention, um, 
what you do as well because there are different links on the website too to the course and we like to put those in as well too so um jess we'll start with you and then we'll end with the state's attorney monster so uh, i work for a state's attorney monster <laughs> um, continuity right <laughs> um i'm really proud to work where i do so that i can help protect kids we we move in we remove them when we have to um we keep them safe and what we do in getting all of us together in the same courtroom is we show the, the kids that we deal with, most of which are teenagers if we're in Judge Parga's courtroom, um, that we're willing to show up for them. I mean, we get 10, 15, 20 people sometimes in one courtroom every single time that kid is there to say, we're here for you and we will show up for you every time. Um, I would say um, Kane County is probably my favorite place to practice. Um, because of just the intention here of really doing what's best for families and for the kids and even representing parents. We have a state attorney's office that is number one ethical um, and responsible in how they carry themselves, but also willing to do the right thing. Uh, there's no, they don't see themselves as losers when they don't win a case because the child went home. That's a win for ever, for all of us. And so um, I think that's that's um, my, my positive thing to say. And so. Thank you. Well, it's hard to beat what Jesse said because I think that's great. <laughs> but I, I guess to echo that and to add to it, I think that what it, what's important to know is we really are a team. And that mentality that we're all working for the success of the kids and the families it comes through every day. And what I really love is hearing all of those people on those cases, encouraging the kids to do better, rooting for them to do better, and being happy when they do. And it's just, it's great. It, it, it shows the kids that they're cared about, that we are going to show up, that we want what's best for them, and they're hearing positive things from the team, which is important because a lot of times these kids have never heard any positive reinforcement. And so to get it from so many people on all angles, including the state, which traditionally that's not what someone may think, I think is just wonderful. I agree, I agree. So I said earlier that I was a assistant district attorney in New Orleans, and that's where I began my career in juvenile court. And I didn't know any better about any court because law school teaches you a whole lot of theory, a whole little of actual ability to practice <laughs> law. And so I was very lucky because I was assigned to one courtroom, and that one courtroom had the same judge, the same public defender, the same court staff, and we only did see the juvenile justice, although juvenile delinquency back mm -hmm. then. Um, and we had two, so we had four juvenile delinquency courtrooms and two abuse and neglect. And I could see my kids in juvenile court going over to abuse and neglect also. And I could see where we kept failing and I could see these kids just kept coming back into the system over and over again. I also saw that there was a complete and utter lack of resources that we were providing to everybody. And it was disheartening because I would see the same names over and over again. And I truly thought that we were making a difference, but we were never treating the root cause. We were treating the crime. And so coming here, I worked in juvenile as a special prosecutor over here where I would go over there and I would prosecute the kids who committed arson and auto theft cases. 
And so the focus though was so different there than it was here because we were truly trying to get the kids out of the system. I'm lucky because I get to work with all of them and they are the ones who do all of the work. I just sit back like the good boss that I am and just <laughs> let them do what they do because they are the experts in it. And I will constantly provide support whenever I can, come in with legislative fixes because I think we can do better. We're doing great, but we can always do better. And I'm thrilled because we do have that communication. I can call up Judge Parga and I can say, okay, not talking about any specific case, but what can we do to bring in more services to get something different? And she'll have ideas. The same goes for Marilisa. I mean, she has a long history with DCFS, knows all of it and by working at DCFS. Let me be very specific. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> it's the end of the night, everybody. But like, she gets this and she knows it and she thinks of tweaks and ways that we can work better. And I mean, I couldn't have picked better with Jess as the head of the Abuse and Neglect Division to not only understand that, but the juvenile delinquency. And we're always working to make it better. So for everybody out there, as your state's attorney, I'm gonna to continue to do that. We need to help our children because our children are the most vulnerable that we have in our community. And if we can't get involved now to help them, but also to realize how we can help the families get them out of this situation, we're gonna to continue to fail. And from our office, we will always have that positive goal of trying to get to the why, to the root cause, to make sure that our kids get the tools that they need to be successful in our community. Thank you very much for that, State's Attorney Masha. We appreciate our panel very much this evening. This was a fantastic discussion about Juvenile Justice Court here in Kane County. Once again, this uh, interview will stay up on our social media and our YouTube page as well. And anyone with any questions can feel free to reach out to the State's Attorney's Office of Kane County. Thank you very much to our listeners once again, and we hope you guys have a great rest of the evening and weekend. See you next month with another great discussion. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you, Curtis.